All right, guys, we have a very special announcement. It's official. The Bases Loaded Pod is joining the Roto Baller Radio Podcast Network. A little bit about Roto Baller. Since 2013, Roto Baller has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy addicts their fix with player news and cutting edge fantasy analysis. If you didn't know, Roto Baller's 2020 MLB draft kit is already live. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools, including printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points, head-to-head, dynasty, roto, AL only, NL only, you name it, they've got it. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools. These draft tools include printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points leagues, head-to-head, roto, dynasty, AL or NL only, you name it, they've got it. They also offer rankings and projections from the number one most accurate industry expert, Nick Mariano. Not to mention access to their exclusive rankings wizard. Like I said, there's 15. Those are just three. So there's so much more to check out. For a limited time, get your MLB premium pass for 50% off. But wait, it does actually get better. Right now, you can get an additional 10% off if you use promo code BASESLOADED. Just visit rotoballer.com slash BASESLOADED to sign up for your premium pass today so you can dominate your leagues tomorrow. Bases loaded and one out. Oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bases Loaded. Bases Loaded is a fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curlin. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. And tonight, I'm joined by George and Zach. You can follow them on Twitter. George is at Roto underscore Nino. Zach is at BrafZ. Gentlemen, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Good to be back with you guys. It's been a couple days, it feels like. But no, good to be back talking some ball with you. George? Yeah, yeah, likewise. We've got a, another new proposal today from uh, MLB that we're going to touch on. So, yeah, doing good, though. Just, you know, waiting to see till we get more clarity. Until then, I mean, still playing the show, still getting our MLB Remix League draft uh, going. So, not much else. Needs to end. Needs to end. Needs right away. To end. I'm, ready. I'm ready for the actual. I'm ready for the actual action at this point. I agree. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of cool things going on behind the scenes here, though. Um, Base loaded. I mean, although we're still pumping out the regular, you know, podcasts and articles on the site, baseloadnetwork.com, of course. We're just going about just trying to take advantage of this downtime and get things rolling. With that said, um, last little thing: five star rating review, greatly appreciate it. Other than that. George, you touched on it. This is episode 98. We're getting close to episode 100. Tonight, we are touching on that proposal. Zach, you were actually the one that sent it to our group text. And I was like, okay, now we have to change. We were going to talk about something completely different tonight. And now we're just going to touch on this new proposal. A little bit about it, I guess, from um, from the USA Today. MLB discussing plan to start season in late June, playing home stadiums with realigned league. That seems like a very long title. The idea essentially is to recreate the divisions and keep players like realigning the divisions to keep all teams in a similar area geographically so limits travel but this way it'll actually allow teams to play at their home stadiums so those neutral site ideas would be out the window but there'll be no fans as we probably expect at this point there's just a lot going on it's very very vague for the most point for the most part but i wanted to break down the little info we did have and talk about the division realignment so it's a lot it I'm is talking for like five minutes. Yeah, so. yeah. 
I'm ready to get the mic over to somebody. George, it sounds like you're ready to jump on this. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Go go ahead and uh, take a little break there. Catch your breath. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, under this new proposal, like you said, they will be breaking uh, MLB up into three divisions uh, by region, west, uh, central, and east divisions. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, none of that, you know, spring training sites, neutral sites, or having everyone play in Arizona, this would be – all the teams playing in their home parks, um, looking, you know, if, if this is a 100 game season, we're looking at each team playing, only playing the other nine teams. So you're looking at maybe 11 uh, games each uh, against against each of them, maybe uh, a 12th game against, you know, one other team or something. But that's what we're looking at and possible, you know, ex- expanded playoffs, whether that means maybe four teams, um, you know, from each division going to the playoffs or, or whatnot. Uh, that still remains to be seen. Still a lot of stuff, you know. I mean, they also talked about – we heard some news today about uh, minor league baseball. You know, they're not going to make a firm, you know, decision on that until after they have a plan in place here for MLB. But I think what we get – the biggest takeaway for me from this is just the fact that uh, we seem to be, to be moving forward towards baseball being played in 2020. So that's – for me, that that's the big thing is, is just having – you know, that optimism now of, you know, we're going to get a season. We're going to get something here. So, yeah, I mean, um, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how they go about all this, uh, but it's it's exciting. Yeah, no, make some good points there, George. I agree. I think this all but assures that we're going to have some type of season, which is amazing. That's really the long-term goal that we all wanted here. I think it's great to have these teams back in their home ballparks rather than dealing with the the Florida-Arizona proposal. Just wasn't a huge fan of that. So it'll be great to have the players back in their home ballparks with uh, with their home dimensions that they're familiar with. Uh, that'll help and hurt some fantasy players still. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to have this proposal on the table. I'm sure there's still going to be some kinks that need to be worked out. And like you said, the, the playoff structure is still very vague at this point, but there's some teams, uh, I'm sure we're going to dive into it here, but there's some teams that may have benefited or, uh, kind of, uh, this maybe hurts them a little bit more. Um, so the structure definitely, uh, helps and hurts some teams. So I'm sure we'll dive into that here, but yeah, uh, it's good to hopefully have this plan in place and have baseball back the latest end of June and hopefully by uh, July 4th at the latest. Yeah, that would be, that would be amazing. I think they, I did see that there would be like an 18 to 21 day warm up period. So like another, you know, uh, three week spring training period. So that'd be good. I think another thing they would probably carry over from the previous proposal is the idea of the universal DH and um, expanded rosters. Uh, I think a lot of that will go into how much of uh, minor league baseball they open up. Uh, I know another idea was that they would just kind of have like an extended spring training kind of thing at their spring training sites where, you know, my, uh, their uh, minor leaguers can can play there. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, just um, inching a little bit closer here now to to a little bit of clarity and a, and a plan. You guys so looking forward to the whole restructuring all our ranks, rediscussing ADP, rediscussing positional breakdowns, because I am so over it. Right, yeah. It's kind of fun (laughs) to a point, but to, you know, all the work as far as the writing side goes and the actually republishing ranks, that's going to be a pain in the butt. And especially, but again, we need, before we even dive into that, we need way more details because this is still not set in stone. This is still just a proposal. There are still a lot of things like you just mentioned that we're going behind the scenes. And we aren't just going to talk about this because, again, this would take about five minutes of discussing. We'd be done. So we're going to actually discuss – obviously, we're going to go division by division, the reworked divisions. 
we'll talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses in each division because I think there's in each division I think there's clear winners and clear clear losers. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, the, and then we're going to talk about a little bit of draft strategy just in general. There are drafts going on. There are drafts coming up. I have a home league that hasn't drafted, and I'm not sure when they're exactly scheduling it to. The idea, I just want to discuss maybe how we should attack certain categories. Steals, saves, and starting pitching as a whole, just in general. So we'll get to that as well. That should have been introduced at the beginning of the podcast, but if you're still listening, you know we're going to talk draft strategy. That's always fun. I'll make sure I put it in the title too, so people have an idea. But anyway, so I hope you guys have it in front of you. Uh, We're going to start with the East. And in the East... Makes sense. East Coast teams. You have the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, the Boston Red Sox, the Washington Nationals. This is going to be a lot to keep up with. So we might, uh, you know what? I'll link this in the description so people can find this article if you want to go along. But as I said, the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Nationals, the Baltimore Orioles, the Phillies, the Pirates, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Marlins. This <laughs> initial reaction is holy crap! I don't want pitchers in this division. Yeah, it's gonna be holy a tough one, right? <laughs> Every like one, some of the hardest uh, ballparks to pitch in, some of the better offenses. Obviously, Miami is a good park to pitch in. Tampa Bay is, and so is Pittsburgh. But they're talking three parks, and the rest are literally hitter, hitters' parks, and the rest are like this, and it's loaded with offense. I, I oh my goodness, this really does change my thoughts on some players what about you guys uh let's start with you zach you haven't spoken in a while yeah i mean this is a powerhouse division here um gonna be tough for pitchers to be successful in this division here but yeah i mean there's gonna be a lot of hitters coming out of these teams um they get to play in yankee stadium get to play in fenway baltimore um i mean those are philly as well um so it adds man yeah Major launching pads. So, yeah, I mean, this is a division that I would love to just load up on hitters. Pitchers, not so much, like we said. So, yeah, it's this is uh, this is the powerhouse division here of the three. It's really aggravating just looking at because the Marlins, I mean, they were bad, but come on. <laughs> like, this is just depressing. Yeah, their, their win total just went down quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, which actually, I mean, it, it could be actually more games. Real quick, a sorry, good thing. This is more games. The Pirates of the Marlins. Right. I mean, you, you look at the Pirates and Marlins here. I mean, it could be a good thing for them if the, these are teams that are looking to, you know, maybe tank, uh, go, you know, especially like a team like the Pirates. You know, if they're not looking to win this year, this might actually help them, um, you know, vying for that number one pick. So. And again, we're not going to, I don't want to focus and harp on specific players tonight because again, this is a proposal. Once we actually have things outlined, we can, I think honestly, I would like to actually do a podcast on each division because each division would pretty much require that much time on it. So yeah. that's something we'll keep in mind for the future, let people know that are listening. But ultimately, right now, we're just going to kind of give a broad, yeah. broad stroke um, assessment on this. So, yeah. and if you're, less, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, so, I mean, if we're thinking probably roughly four playoff teams coming out of each division, I mean, the obvious teams, I would say the Yankees and the Rays are probably uh, – Yankees, Rays, and Nats are probably front runners in this Rays, division. It got a lot harder for them because not that they were a bad team. But, and not that, not, I shouldn't say harder. No. I mean, they get from, they get like the Pirates I, and the Marlins now. Yeah, but they also get the Phillies and the, oh, I guess that's true. And the Nationals, sorry. So, it's, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I feel like the Rays are, the Rays are going to be good. I like them. I don't know. I just think I think this is a tough division in general. Like maybe the Rays are bad. Maybe the Mets. I don't know. The Mets are another team they have to face. And the Mets, you know, the Mets they can hit or they can miss. There's no in between. And it's it's very interesting, man. I don't I don't know. I mean, not, not that I think the Rays would be one of the top four teams. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's to be closer than we anticipate because 
I'd say there's like seven teams legitimately, and the Red Sox, even though they lost Mookie and Sale, they're still the Red Sox. I feel like they can still make moves. Yeah. Just the thought of the Yankees and the Mets and the Rays and the Red Sox just beating up on the Orioles and the Pirates and the Marlins. That just, as a Mets fan, that just fills me with a lot of joy. But yeah, there's definitely going to be some tough matchups. But uh, yeah, this, this is going to be a tough division. I will enjoy watching Yankees and Mets games, though. That'll be kind of intriguing. Yeah. I'm always a fan of watching the New York teams beat up on each other. They used to be so much more interesting. So it'll be nice to get back to those heydays. Could you imagine like a nice a nice little cold Degrom matchup? That's yeah. be nice to watch. I could watch that a few times a year. That's what I'm saying. So it could be worse. Uh, but we can go ahead and move over from the East. We'll go right into the West. The West makes sense, you know. Again, it's the Dodgers, the Angels, the Giants, the A's, Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Rangers, Astros, and Mariners. On the flip side here, there's a lot of like I think I would target pitchers here. Other than obviously playing in Colorado, pretty much every park in this division, I'd say other than Colorado and I guess what, the Diamondbacks, maybe Houston a little bit, is a pitcher. Everything else is a pitcher's park. You, your guys like Bueller might like, – would you think, consider like, – now this is a specific. Would you consider Bueller over DeGrom considering their divisions? Is that even a conversation? For me, I still take skills. <laughs> I still take skills over – matchups but it, i think it becomes more of a conversation yeah you know he might actually inch closer to um to the ground there he kind of already was as far as like mm-hmm. adp and stuff um you saw bueller kind of being pushed up a bit but this i mean absolutely you you gotta love this for for bueller um with this I mean, arrangement all, here. i'll say all uh, a lot of the pitchers here yeah in the west division. absolutely bundy yeah. even like someone like a dylan bundy because he gets a lot of uh, good ballparks for him you know like there's a lot of value here. You you can probably go deep. Obviously, you still want to avoid Rockies pitchers because they're going to be pitching in Colorado, but maybe they don't pitch as much in Colorado. I don't know. You just who knows how it's going to uh, end up lining us end up you know lining up and all that. But there's just so much. Like I think this is the division you would target pitchers out of. You know, or maybe yeah. the difference. Maybe it becomes a difference as far as like mid rounds when you're like, do I want a Frankie Montas or do I want a Eduardo Escobar? Like, I'm not sure. I, I think their ADP is similar. I could be wrong. But that's my point. Like, well, then you start looking at the That might be a bad example, but you get my point as far as you look Maybe, at the uh, division. You're like, oh, that division's tough. Let me go to the guy who has the better pitching, uh, the better division. Right. So how, how about like uh, Frankie Montas or uh, Eduardo Rodriguez? I just said that. You said Escobar. Oh. Yeah, you did say <laughs> Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? That, that, that might work a little better. Because Eduardo Escobar is actually in the same division as Frankie Montas. So, yeah. And one doesn't pitch. So you get, they got my point, though. You knew what I was trying to get at. So thank you. Gosh. Oh, man. All right. That was funny. Zach, what's your take on this uh, West division? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still some some really solid teams in this division but yeah i agree you have a third of the mlb in every division there's always going to be solid teams. yeah i I just i think i think the central is is a little bit more of a weaker division but yeah i mean definitely pitching specifically yeah i I definitely would target some pitching in this division um some, some good guys out there as well i agree i still like some of those oakland pitchers there's some guys in arizona and texas rotations that i like um i mean still some guys that we're avoiding like in seattle and the giants mm-hmm. sorry george but for the most part yeah i mean some good uh some good pitchers and some of the upper tier guys like you were saying like bueller um maybe chris paddock um maybe granky guys maybe 
boost up the rankings a little bit just because of some of these matchups and some of the ballparks as well. Don't draft Eduardo Escobar as your starting pitcher, guys. I'll just make sure we drive that point home. Great. That's fun. I can't do anything right, man. Between my audio, my player names, I'm all over the place this week, apparently. You're just a hot mess right now. It is what it is. All right. Moving over to the central. makes Again, it just makes sense. It almost feels redundant to say the team names because, you know, just obviously geographically makes sense. But you have the Cubs, the White Sox, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Royals, the Reds, the Indians. The Twins, the Braves, and the Tigers. Yikes! For the tw- I mean, the Royals and Tigers already had it tough. Now it just got tougher. <laughs> like, I mean, there yeah. wasn't much fantasy relevance there anyway. Right. But I don't know. I, I see a team that hurts, in my opinion, actually, quite a bit. But I'll, let you, I'll I'll hold on to that thought. George, what do you think? I mean, I think the two clear favorites here are the Braves and Twins. I mean, you know, outside of. Uh, the Braves, which the Twins, I, I'm not too sure. Um, I mean, how much competition they had there in their division, anyways. But uh, you know, the Braves now they, you know, they they get out of the Nationals. And here, I think, yeah, I think here they're a clear favorite here at the in in this Central. The Braves, Braves and Twins, and you got the Indians there. Cubs, you know, Cubs Cubs are still you know got a pretty good team um, together there. The Reds, There's a couple. I think the Reds kind of break even. Yeah, there's a couple teams that are interesting that are kind of in the middle there, kind of a toss-up here with like the White Sox, the Reds, uh, the Indians, Indians, even the Cardinals. I think the Indians and White Sox are big losers here because they go from kind of a a softer division Uh as a whole to having to face – they don't get that advantage of facing their opponents more now. They used to – you know, they had that advantage of facing the Royals and the Tigers more than the average team. Those were pretty much gimme wins. They go from getting a little bit of an edge facing them more often to facing them equally among the rest of these teams. The rest of these teams are on par or or better on paper. So, I think those – that's kind of my – those are my biggest takeaways is those two teams kind of lose because they go from having easy – I mean, obviously, they always had to face the Twins. That was always going to be an issue. But they – Again, the Tigers and the, and the Royals that you would have had more matchups against in a full season compared to a shortened season with the proposed uh, division. So, yeah. Anything else? Anything else? I, Zach? I agree. I think the Braves are the winner here. Uh, they get out of the powerhouse east. So, I think that Braves have a great chance of advancing in this division. I think this kind of hurts the Twins and the Indians a little bit. I mean, it was clearly those two teams, maybe the White Sox, that might be a year or two away still. Um, I mean, the Twins are the heavy favorite over there. But, yeah, I mean, you're beating up on the Royals and the Tigers. But now they have the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, who I still think will be competitive, and the Braves. So, there's definitely some more competition for the Twins in this division. So, I think this might hurt them a little bit. I still think they'll probably come out on top. But it's definitely going to be tougher for them um, compared to just your regular AL Central matchup. Gotcha. So that covers all the divisions. Again, it even says in the article, there's so much uncertainty about this still. I just wanted to touch on the divisions, the proposed changes as far as the divisions and all that good stuff. The fact that there won't be uh, fans in the stands, but there will be baseball at home parks. So the neutral sites are kind of being uh Pushed, pushed second as a secondary option, I think, at this point. Um, with that said, we'll transition over to some draft strategy. We'll talk just again, just steals, saves, and starting pitching. Because again, hitters will depend on. I think hitters are kind of hard to, to gauge right now. You're not really sure what's going to happen if there's going to be universal DH or not. What the, if the divisions are set? But I think those other three, the other three topics, the other three categories, can almost be again more of a broad stroke approach discussion. So. Zach, I'll start with you again. 
what would you do? Let's say, let's go with saves. How are you approaching saves on a shortened season? So before all of this went down, uh, when we were doing our rankings and pre-drafts, preseason stuff here, my plan was probably to kind of wait a little bit on saves, go for more of like the middle tier and work the waiver wire. But I'm actually doing a couple of drafts now. We're doing the remix draft. We're doing a uh, dynasty startup draft. They're just taking forever, but that's unrelated. Um, but I find myself going a little bit earlier for closers, kind of locking in some of those more elite guys, um, guys I've gotten our Kirby eights in the remix draft where Padres don't matter as much, but I just love the guy's talent. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've gone reached for Kirby eights. I've reached for Chapman. I've reached for Diaz. So I'm trying to maybe lock down saves a little bit earlier uh, more recently with all the news that's come out. But yeah, I just feel like saves are a category that you could either win very easily or lose very easily. And I'd rather be on the winning side of that. So I find myself recently kind of going for more of the upper tier guys. I know a few drafts I've been in with George. I see him reaching for Hader, who's pretty much the clear cut number one guy. Um, oh, 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 that was before Knebel. That was before Knebel <laughs> was getting healthy. Now Knebel's going to be healthy. I wonder how that's going to work. Yeah, but, but if it's a saves hold type league, I still think Cater's well, yeah. clearly the number one guy. Um, well, now you're adding a category. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody's got different settings that they're in. But, but well, yeah, as of right cool. now, I find myself going more for the upper tier guys. Maybe not the first one or two off the board, but maybe shortly, like three or four. Uh, that's kind of what I've been doing lately. And obviously, again, your opinion might change. I probably should have given this caveat to you even prior to. If they do actually go through with those seven inning games, the double headers, those are, again, yet to be determined. If that happens, you know what? Let's talk about it that way then. If that happens, are you going to readjust? Maybe favor more of the back end guys? So you're saying like seven inning type games, double header type games and stuff? Yeah, if they actually go through with that end of the proposal as well. Because that's been a discussion, you know, as far as maybe they'll shorten the innings play double headers and expand roster. Yeah. Which I mean, should, it could really, that should actually change up the fact of um, like save opportunities that should, that, and you would think in theory that would offer more because closers aren't closing back to that games. Uh, closers are going to get tired more frequently. They're going to, they're going to have more bullpen arms to utilize. And on top of that, the second a closer struggles, there are far less games in a season to make up. A closer is going to have far shorter of a leash. And you wonder, first of all, it's going to be very weird seeing seven inning games if that is on the if table. It happens, yes. But like seven inning complete games. But are, are we going to be seeing starting pitchers go much yeah. deeper into games and go in complete games? I think it's going or to be opposite. much more common. And especially if it's going to be doubleheader type games, they might just throw a starting pitcher for seven innings and save the bullpen for game two. Or um, the expanded rosters, you can see the other way. Maybe a pitcher goes four strong and they close out with a hater type for two or three innings. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, you really like that's why starting pitching. That's why I wanted to bring it up because this kind of all goes hand in hand because it all depends on what they do. I, again, we're kind of jumping the gun. I'm trying to give a little strategy because I think it's very intriguing, but there's just so much unknown. It's hard to truly give full on strategy. So again, just to reiterate, once we get a clear outline, we will definitely hit on strategy and tactics on its yeah. own separate podcast. <laughs> but I think it's a really good idea to get the kind of kind of get the ball rolling, the juices flowing, and get an idea of how do we want to attack it when the time comes that they come up with a clear cut outline. Just one more quick thing. I mean, there's still so many unknown factors, like you just said. But the fact of the matter is, even if there's seven inning games, these teams are going to be using their elite relievers no matter what. Um, some of these lower end relievers maybe might not be seeing as much action. But if you're pitching a seven inning game, you're almost guaranteed, guaranteed to see maybe 
your starting pitcher go five or six, and then their their lights out relievers at the end make an appearance. So I still think that boosts the value for these elite relievers even more. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I think with a shorter season, you're going to have fewer opportunities to to make up those saves and. With expanded rosters, we would probably see more committees with these uh, situations that are kind of iffy. So I'm, I'm with you guys in, in in the sense that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably targeting those uh, upper tier guys. Yeah. Let me ask. And, let me ask both of you guys a quick question. In any uh, points leagues or any type of format, I guess, do you guys play uh, get any additional bonus points for like complete games or anything shutouts or anything along those lines? I, I've seen that before. I know. Yeah. yeah. If that's the case, but if that's the case, I mean, I was already going to talk about this, so I guess I'll transition right to it. So let me touch on closers, and then I'll answer your question because that's going to lead right into starting pitching talk. Is that okay? Yep. Cool. All right. So as far as closers go. I think my strategy is going to stay the same. I'm, I was already targeting one shirt, what I called a shirt thing as at a closer anyway. George and I were actually, I think this was the first time we were both on board with the, how the ADP was falling, where we would just grab one quote unquote elite closer. And then from there, kind of piece it together at the end. I was okay with that. I really was. And I think I'm going to keep doing that because there should be more. Again, more safe scattered around. So I think I can, if I have one sure thing and two or three, or likely I would like to have two, two thing, two guys that I can kind of depend on for a handful of saves here and there. I think that'll at least make me competitive. I don't need to win the category, but I want to be top five, especially again, going in as a roto league or, or even head to head categories. I think my goal, I think ultimately I can stream for the bottom end saves, but I want at least one sure thing. So I'm with you, but this was the first year where my strategy was to always get one sure thing as a closer or the closest thing to a sure thing. So going back to your question about complete games, it goes into starting pitching again. It all goes back to how they do the games. I would like to think that they do full regular nine games, no double headers, because I don't want to see injuries. I don't want to see weird stat lines and all that stuff, but it's all going to depend on that. But I think at the end of the day, I think elite pitching gets pushed up anyway. I'm all about grabbing a, an elite arm now because I think they're more valuable because I think you could depend on them. There's less time to make up bad ratios by streaming. There's less time to make up bad ratios if you take too many chances in the draft and don't pick a solid foundational piece of an arm. So I think exactly. ultimately complete games, yes, and now complete games obviously again goes back to the seven inning guys. If you're getting a seven inning, if, if there is a seven inning games or game that that proposal goes through. I think um, you gotta you gotta just get those elite arms because we all th- we all just assume oh McCullers and Lazardo are gonna be let loose because there aren't innings limits. That's not necessarily the case. This could be a way for the team to ease them in. The team could li- literally throw these guys four or five innings. If five innings, you'd be lucky. Maybe throw them a solid four innings, let the bullpen take over because they're gonna have extra bullpen arms. Save those, you know, save the guys like. For instance, the A's have fires, Bassett, um, I'm missing Montas even. Those guys will go your five, six, seven innings. Lazardo might not. Lazardo might go four solid shutout innings, throw 80 pitches for like a couple weeks. And that those couple weeks make a big difference in a shortened season. That's where my head is with starting pitching right now. So although I used to think, oh my goodness, these guys gain a ton of value, maybe they don't. Maybe we're overthinking. Like Urias is another one. Luis Urias, he's another guy that we just assume he's going to be let loose. Since when do the Dodgers let anybody lose? So yeah, it's, like, it's it's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. We could really just see these guys go three or four innings. And that goes, I mean, if, if we have like seven inning games, I mean, you've got to completely do away with uh, counting quality starts, right? Like in pretty much yeah. all your leagues. Can't quality start be like five innings? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, exactly. Yeah. Where are you at, Zach? Well, I know kind of just through two, like, again, it's completely opposite ideas, but where are you at with all this? 
So it just cut out briefly for me. So just bear with me here. But I think this gives a little boost. I agree. A lot of people are probably thinking right now that guys like Lazardo, um, some of the young guys might be um, inclined for not an increase in workload, but they might be in better shape with their innings limits that were supposedly attached to their names. But I actually kind of like some of the, the old aging vets in this scenario as well. Guys like Corey Kluber, who you know can go deep in games. Guys like Zach Granke, who can go seven strong. A lot of guys that put up a lot of quality starts. Uh, those are guys that are kind of intriguing me now, especially if you do get um, like bonus points uh, for complete games or shutouts or something along those lines. Because I could see those guys going deep into a game because I do think that these double headers are going to be on the table. I think these players are trying to get in as many games possible this season. I mean, right now with the proposal that we're talking about, that would really only be about 100 games that they're talking about. If they can get some of these seven inning double headers in, um, that might be able to get it up to like 120 or so. So I think double headers are going to be a thing, and I think seven innings is on the table. So if that's the case, I kind of like some of these older aging vets who are workhorse guys who can put up quality starts. So guys that uh, are quality start type of guys, those are guys that I'm targeting maybe a little bit more so than some of these young guys who still are a little unproven and might not be going as deep because they're still on innings limits. So uh, last thing, I just want a quick brief um, steals. We'll talk about steals real quick. Just a quick brief um idea of how you address deals i think i'm going to address them just the same i don't really see much of a difference in uh, my idea of attacking them what about you guys all right on that note we're gonna go ahead and take a brief break and we'll be right back with you after a word from our sponsors and we're back george we'll start with you this time yeah i'm uh kind of the same uh, you know typically in a season we see uh steals decline as the season goes on um you know in the second half so maybe I'd be a little more inclined to take guys that I'm, you know, can, can bank on, you know, the steals from. Um, probably not, you know, going to count too much on the guys that are more like accumulators, like a Marcus Simeon, who, you know, over 750 play appearances. Yeah, he'll he'll get 10 steals, 12 steals, maybe, you know. But um, in this in this, you know, scenario here, um, maybe you can only count on a handful if if that. So maybe guys that I know, you know, are are, are going to run regardless. Um, you know, maybe I, I'm more inclined to, to go that route. What about you, Zach? Yeah, not much has changed from my front. Um, I'm still kind of targeting, like George said, some of those guys that maybe will put up like 10 to 15 bags. Uh, just I'd rather kind of be in the middle of the pack rather than be at the bottom of the pack there. But um, it really depends on draft position. Uh, we Some of these drafts that we've just done here, um, whether it be Remix or this other Dynasty startup, just really haven't had the chance to like go after a guy like Jose Ramirez. Um, but it's a guy that intrigues me. He's probably going to st- put up at least 20 bags. Um, so if you're in the position, I, I still do like Jose Ramirez uh, late first, sometime in the second round if he's there. Um, so that's the only thing that I've really changed is maybe going after some of those early round talents that you know are going to put up like 20 bags for you. Um they may hurt you in the average department or some other departments, but they're still early round talents. And if they can put up 20 bags, I think that's a huge plus. But other than that, my strategy really hasn't changed all that much. I'm still targeting a lot of those 10 to 15 type stolen base guys mid to late. But yeah, if some of those early guys do fall, I'm, I'm trying to grab them still. Yeah. One, one thing that I was kind of just thinking about as well is, you know, that maybe it'd be an interesting strategy to try is maybe you go ahead and draft uh, like a Malik Smith and you, you know, start them through the first 
30 games, you get a good uh, jump on, on steals there, then you can cut them. You cut them and then you get, you know, you put someone else in there that'll help in the other categories. But um, yeah, I think that would, that might be an interesting strategy. You know, get one of those specialists um, maybe through the first like third of the season. Yeah. It may set yourself up with some say with some steals there and then um, maybe just cut them, cut bait or trade. If, if you're going to be trading in your league. I refuse to uh, <laughs> specialists. I refuse. I'll just keep my same steady Eddie approach. Again, you have to remember you don't have to win a you don't have to win a category to win your league. So I try to at least be competitive, top three to five in steals and saves because I like to think I strengthen my roster in the other categories enough to ultimately win it. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Steals are steals and they suck. <laughs> God, I hate. It. But yeah, let's get to these questions. We got to knock out these questions and we'll get out of here. So, we have quite a few, actually. I didn't realize we had so many, so now we're going to run through a couple. A couple of these are actually repeats. Uh, we have J-Dub and Brent, your buddy, your uh, host over there at Exabilo. Uh, Brent, well, sorry. Brent actually asked about what teams would benefit the most in the three-division set. We kind of touched on that for the most part. We talked about a lot. Of, we talked about division. I think we hit on divisions well enough to cover that. Is there any specifics you wanted to point out for that one that we already didn't? Anyone? Uh yeah, I mean, but without diving too much deep, uh, deeper, I think I think we kind of touched on it. That's yeah, what I'm thinking. I think we yeah. did too. Because that was kind of the, yeah, I didn't want to harp on it too much. Um, J-Dub, going back to him, and Mark Checky, they both asked about the neutral sites. We talked about how this new, uh, this new, what's it called? Um, proposal. Proposal. <laughs> I'm, thinking pre- I'm like, preparation, wrong word. Proposal. This new proposal discusses them getting away from the neutral site games. But neutral site games in general, I think it would depend on, if we say they do go back to that, at the end of the day, it really just depends on which parks they get placed at. If you're in Miami, the ball's not going to fly nearly as far. It'll help pitching. If you're in Arizona, teams that have good park factors, I think there's going to be a mutual give and take. You know, you might not have the great dimensions, but you're going to have the better climate to launch balls out of the out of the park anyway. So a little bit give and take. I think ultimately that's the best way to go about it. If you want to add anything, you can while I look up the next question, but that's up to you. I think that's everything on that one. I got one randomly just now, like two seconds ago. Luis Medina or Tanaj Thomas? Zach, you're a dynasty guy. Yeah, I have a few shares of Tanaj Thomas. That's um, I'm leaning to. <laughs> I think Medina's been kind of banged up. A little bit the past few years, and Thomas is also a little erratic. I think at times, I think as a you look at his walks per nine and stuff, it kind of paints a picture of him being a little erratic. But so does Taj Thomas at times. So yeah, there's talk of Thomas possibly becoming more of a reliever uh, in the long run, but he does have um, a pretty nasty arsenal, and he's curveball. Yeah, and he's quickly moving up the uh, the ranks. It's possible he could be a top 100 guy next year. Um, but yeah, I think he was pitcher of the year for the Pirates organization this past year. So yeah, he's definitely on the rise, and that's somebody I would I, I would go with the Tanaj Thomas side in Dynasty. I would too, and a lot of it goes back to because I, I feel like they both have similar uh, strikeout upside. But I'm going to go with the guy with the better command, and you look at him with a 45 uh, 45 uh, command tool, and then you have uh, what's his face Medina being graded out at like a 35 45, I think it was so. I'm going to go with the guy with the better command, but that's pretty much it. If Medina works on his command and gets it working better for him, then we could, you know, might I might have a change of heart, but right now I'm going to go to Naj Thomas as well. Moving on from that question, so we can run through a few more. Um, who do you think will have better numbers, I guess, I guess he means this season, Jordan Alvarez or Eloy Jimenez? George, take that one away. Oh, man. Um, 
Dude, I, I love Eloy. I, I love both of these guys, but I think Eloy can absolutely do it. Alvarez did it, though. He was he did it last year. Eloy was kind of doing it in the second half, though. He was really coming on. Um, that one's tough. Uh, for me, I actually think Eloy is, is a val- I think he could be, you know, put up the same stats that Alvarez is doing. He's just going, you know, 20 picks later. So that one's tough. I mean, that one really is a toss-up for me. Yeah, I think the uh, the knee injury is very worrisome with Jordan right now. And that being a major factor in this question, I would probably go Eloy as well. I mean, Eloy put up a pretty quiet, fantastic rookie campaign last the year. Half. He came back and just mashed the fifth yeah. year. Yeah, a little bit of a slow start, which is common for these, for these young kids. And um, yeah, I mean, he finished strong and I can really see him building upon that. I, I agree with George. I think he could put up similar numbers to Jordan. I don't think his average will be as close as Jordan was last year. Granted, Jordan was in a little bit smaller of a sample size, but um, that is a tough one. But I would probably lean Eloy as well, just because there's some some serious injury concerns with Jordan from what we've been hearing. I'm going to take Alvarez. I, I'm just like you guys, though. I'm really torn. I'm just going to bank on the, uh, the better team. Although Eloy obviously got the team around him has also improved. I think a lot of it depends on um, the, how the divisions shake out as well. I think it'll be closer than people want to realize, though. As far as ADP goes, like, based on strict, strictly based on value, I want Jimenez more. I mm-hmm. think there's more value in his draft capital. But straight up, if I had to choose, I'm going to take Alvarez and and bank on the knee problems being behind him. And if they, yeah. if they extend the rosters out, you know he's probably going to be DHing as is, so he'll probably definitely be DHing regardless. So yeah, e- Eloy too. I mean. Eloy himself has kind of a a bit of an injury history too. I'm not sure if he's actually played a, a fully healthy season. Um, yeah, and as far as the batting average goes, I, I'm with you. I trust uh, Alvarez that he's put up just like I want to say like 25 percent plus line drive rates like every single year. Um, so he just smokes the ball. I'd like to see Eloy lifted a little bit more. Ground ball percent is still a little bit too high. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I think they're both going to just be absolute studs. All right, we have a couple more questions here. We'll try to let's just run. Let's try to run through these thoughts on this dynasty trade. I guess it's a 2018. I don't know if he was being like sarcastic or not. It's Corbin. It's actually one of our uh, our, our writers over at Baseload Network. 2018 Roto six by six with OPS and holds. But it's, it's Blackman and John Gray for Conforto and Mets. I'd rather have Conforto over Blackman, especially in the 2018 league. But the Gray over Mets for me is a lot. Am I the only one that feels like that? That's too big. Like he needs a better piece of mats on the return there, or is the age difference and the potential price difference between Blackman and Conforto make up that difference enough? I love John Gray's stuff. I hate that he's in Colorado. Um, hopefully, maybe in a season or two, maybe maybe that changes. Uh, as a Met fan, I am just I'm I'm out on Stephen Matz. A lot of people are hyping him up as a sleeper this year. I'm just uh, I just do not think it's going to happen. Uh, I think you've kind of seen the best of him. I think he's he's a four or five type pitcher. Um, so that's not somebody that I would particularly want in return in Dynasty. I, I personally like John Gray more in Dynasty if he can get out of Colorado. But I agree, I like Conforto better than Blackman. That being said, that really doesn't help you at all. <laughs> I was gonna say, would that make this a fair deal? You're kind of, I mean, Blackman's gonna produce similarly, if not better, than Conforto this year, though. So this year, you're losing the trade. It's more of a because it's dynasty, and so many teams, Conforto should have the longer career, is more yeah. valuable of an asset. But is he 
I still think that Conforto is on the cusp of greatness. Uh, we haven't seen the best of him yet. I agree. Um, you know I'm a Conforto guy, so you know I Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, I for me, I, uh, I would pull this trigger on this deal. I would yeah. as well. I would take the Conforto side, especially. Did you say it was OPS? OPS, yes. That's yeah. the yeah. reason there. Yeah, I would. Uh, a ton. I would take that. I, I think the difference in, in dynasty value between Blackman and Conforto right now, I think is, um, for me, I'm just, it's worth it. Uh, I think right now is, I, we, I mentioned this um, when one of our dynasty episodes a couple uh, weeks ago about, you know, selling Blackman right now. I think it's right now is the time. So I would, I would take this. Yeah. Conforto is, I think, the best player in this deal. So just for that alone. Yeah. Usually, I usually go that way as well. All right. Our boy Yancey Eaton can't go a podcast without getting his name in there. Yeah, uh, of course he asked, is there a player or players that you were previously out on, but now in on because of the truncated season? I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. And I think the injured players became more valuable and more interesting prior to the shutdown or when it was rumored or when it just got said it was going to happen. I started taking advantage of that, so to speak, with the draft prices. I got all over Paxton. I got all over Stanton. Those are guys I want all the shares of because I don't think the prices have truly come around on them. I think they're still being underdrafted if you look at ADP. Um, those are the two guys that stuck out to me right away. I know, again, not it's obvious answers, but I'm okay with the obvious answers because that's legitimately what I've been doing in drafts. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's anything you would differ from. I mean, I'm sure there's a few names that you could think of, George, that I'm missing. No, um, when I saw this question, it was kind of the first thing I thought of too, is that, you know, I'm more willing to take a chance on these, uh, injured guys. Uh, the two names for me that come to mind is Carlos Correa and, uh, Miguel Sano. Uh, there you go. so I think those two for sure are, are guys that, um, that I'm willing to take a chance on with the shorter season. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I agree. Some of the older vets that were, that were hurt, like Verlander was dropping quite a bit because he uh, was expected to be out for a month or two. Um, but yeah, those guys I'm definitely in on. And we were talking about earlier, I mean, some of these young guys, we, we still don't know exactly how teams are going to handle them, but a guy like Lazardo, I might, I'm still going to boost up my rankings a little bit because I do think he's going to be, I don't think he will be on as strict of an innings limit. I still think he's going to be getting good quality innings and I can see him being a huge piece to that rotation. So um, a guy like Lazardo, I would boost up a little bit. Um, maybe some of these other younger prospects um, who are maybe on the cusp of the rotation as well. But yeah, I mean, some of these younger guys with innings limits on the, uh, on the rock, on the rocks for innings limits. Um, I would, I would boost them up in my rankings a little bit. And I guess goes, the only thing I think that has changed a lot is my outlook on starting pitching. I'm much more willing to go out of my way to get a starter. Like I normally wouldn't grab a starter in the first round. Now I'm much more open to the idea of doing that. One of the top four in my, in my rankings, which would be the t- big four. Cause I still put Verlander as a top four guy. Cause I'm, he's pretty much, he's not injured. You know what I mean? He's still, he's healthy in, in my eyes, in my eyes. So I'm, I'm emphasizing getting a pitcher in the first two rounds. Whereas before I was willing to go the first two, even three rounds, a lot of pitcher, I expressed my reasoning for the pitching side of things. So I think just overall how I approach pitchers in the early rounds has changed due to this um, truncated season and unknown with innings right now. So, all right. Um, Marty Tallman, I believe this is the last question and it's a good one, but I know my answer. I'll let you guys go, but we'll keep it quick, quick. We get this guy's quick. Uh, first and second base are the shallowest positions. Which one's more shallow? Let's start there. It's a multi-part question. George, Zach, I don't care who chimes in on this one. As far as that part of the question. That is a good uh, question. George, you can go first, buddy. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was going to say my first, my first, my first uh, reaction, my first thought is that it's first base because just because I mean, second base is a little bit deeper just because there's more question marks with the guys that are uh, a little bit later there in second base. But yeah, I would say I think after like the top like 15 guys that are first base eligible, like it just really falls off. Um, Yeah, I I guess I guess I would say that they're just more interesting guys uh, later on with second base. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, we're going to move on from that because I think that's the right answer. Yeah, I agree as well. There you go. I thought so. Who is the cutoff for a solid first and second baseman? Goodness. Um, I didn't, I didn't see that part of the question. I would have prepped better for that one. To be honest. What was, what was it? The cutoff for a solid first and second baseman. Ooh. So for a first baseman, for me, it's, um, I mean, if, if I'm, uh, for me, I think it's oh. Luke Voigt. I was yeah, going to say Voigt I knew well. you were going to say Voigt, but. Oh, of Voigt course, you know, that's my guy. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pulling up our ranks now. Same. <laughs> I think there's a significant drop-off. After after Void, we have Santana and Christian Walker. I think we're definitely okay seeing a drop-off. I'm okay with Walker. I'm okay with Yuli if I have to settle. I'm okay with it. But I think if Void is getting everyday reps, which is supposedly the plan as of right now. Um, I would put the cutoff after Edwin personally then. We, 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 all, we pretty much all have Edwin right there at that same area pretty much back to back with him. So if you want to, I can see Voight. I just, I feel more, I guess I know Edwin, the known commodity really something for me. So that's about 13 for me. That's 13 first baseman down. And that's kind of the last place I'd want my starting first baseman to come from. I would settle for Voight, Christian Walker and Yuli Santana. I would settle for cause of speed, but I really, I think we're all pretty much out on Santana. And I was a guy who was in on him big time last year, but it's cause he was free off the waiver wire. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, sorry to cut you off, Zach. I'm no, uh, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with George here. I think Void's probably the lowest that I would go. I just don't know if I trust uh, what we saw from Christian Walker last year. He's an intriguing player, but I, I just want to see him replicate some of that production first before I commit to him as my starting first baseman. I think Luke Void is a uh, – uh, I think there's a safer floor with Luke Void. Yeah, I mean, if CJ Crone was in anywhere else but Detroit, I, I would I would say CJ Crone in a heartbeat, but – yeah, there's still some deeply deep first base guys too, though that I'm okay. I'm okay with as uh, maybe not my starter, but like bench guys. Um, but well, in I, terms I of would, starter, I was gonna say like I somebody like Ryan McMahon, I would I would move up a little bit because like, he's a little lower now. But yeah, there's a lot of guys in a deep performer and a 15 teamer. I'd go, but I'm talking about like I'm picturing more of a 12 teamer. 12 teamer Edwin yeah. and Voight. Kind of, we both have those guys pretty much back to back, except for one of you guys have them. A little deeper, uh, later, whatever. But in a 15 teamer, I would probably say Canna or Crone would be the last I'd want to target as my starter. Where are you guys at? Say 15 teamer, go deeper. Maybe, maybe Ronaldo Nunez. Maybe I need to move him up because I'm okay with Ronaldo Nunez if I have to start up my first base. But I guess that doesn't answer the question. I guess it would be comfortable. And Crone, that Crone Canna area would be where I'm comfortable starting a first baseman. Yeah, I agree. In a 15 team, yeah. Got if you. Universal DH is implemented, I'm okay with Dan- with using Daniel Murphy mm-hmm. as my starting first baseman as well as a very very late round pick in a deep league. Um, Evan yeah. White's another intriguing name as well. I love Evan yeah. White. I love Evan White. Not as much as oh yeah, I was I was a high man on him. <laughs> there you go. I was the high man on Evan White. Oh, low man on Void. I was the one that put Void at 17. Yeah, I gotta fix that. Although. <laughs> I'm, I, I do like Christian Walker more, and it shows my ranks. Anyway, all right, that was longer. Okay, and the very last part of this, 
in the first five rounds, okay, is it more important to secure a first and second baseman in the first five rounds, or should you just go with best available? I will always take best available. The only yeah. time, the only time I would even think of taking a first or second baseman on purpose is if I'm torn between two players, and the and you know that's when I'm like, well, what makes them? What makes one more valuable than the other? Do I want this third baseman in the third round, or do I want Ketel Marte who has second base eligibility? I'm gonna lean Ketel Marte if I'm truly torn between two players because that's when the eligibility will matter to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that's the only time I look at eligibility in the first five rounds. Yeah, first well, ten rounds. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm a lean Cattell Marte because I love Cattell Marte. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, but that was just the example I gave because I know yeah, in, the for sure. round, in the third round, he's not the most popular pick. Not everyone likes him as much as we do, but he's a guy that it's like, if it's between him and, I don't know, pick a guy who falls, it doesn't matter. Jordan yeah, Springer, I mean, you know every I mean? draft is, is different, you know, every, every draft is different, but I, I'm not, am I making it a point saying like I have to have a second baseman in my first five rounds? No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm typically going best available, but I'm in the back of my mind, I'm keeping roster construction there as well. Um, and that could be the determining factor between two players. Gotcha. And that looks like it's, oh, he asked what our favorite color was, but he was just kidding. But I'm going to answer it. Mine's red. <laughs> Anybody else want to answer their favorite color? I'll take a blue. Cerulean blue. Ooh. Does black count? That's a, I mean, it's it, no, it's a shade. It's not a color. <laughs> Gray. That's also a shade. Try again. All right. Are we done? <laughs> yeah. No, no. All right, guys. We appreciate you listening. Can we always. play the show now? Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Mike. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curling. Joined by George, who you can find on Twitter at Roto underscore Nino. And Zach, who you can find on Twitter at BrafZ. You can find all things Bases Loaded at Bases Loaded FBN on Twitter and Instagram. Again, BasesLoadedNetwork.com, where we have everything. We are just doing a lot of things. we got a lot working behind the scenes. We're going to come back to you with more and more content. Stick with us through this crazy season slash offseason slash unknown season. And I promise you we will try to get, get through it all together and have a good time in the process. Until next time, guys. Appreciate listening. We'll talk to you soon.